Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Peter Marshall was the chaplain for the United States Senate in the 1940s. Anybody know that name, Peter Marshall? Kind of a famous pastor from the middle of the last century. So he ministered to all kinds of people, but especially wealthy people. And uh, it was this one man he was ministering to. The man was quite wealthy, but the man was struggling to tithe. The man was struggling to come up with 10% of his income for the work of the Lord through the church. And so the man came to the chaplain and said, Chaplain, I have a problem. I used to tithe regularly, but now that I'm making $500,000 a year, there's just no way I can afford to give 10%. 50000 Right? Wouldn't you love to have that problem? So he said, no way I can give $50,000 to the church. And so the chaplain pondered the man's comments for a moment, and he said, yes, you know, I can certainly see your problem. Let's pray about this. So the man dutifully bowed his head, and the chaplain bowed his head, and he began to pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you today, would you please reduce this man's salary? Back down to the place where he can afford to tithe. Amen. Isn't that a good prayer? (laughs) Uh, Welcome to the fifth Sunday of Lent, friends, and the fifth Sunday of our series is called Enough. We're preaching through the book of Hebrews, and the thesis, the theological argument of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is enough that the Lord is enough for us, enough for our salvation, and enough for our peace and contentment. He is all the wealth that we need in this life. Now, we don't have time to cover all of Hebrews. It's 13 chapters. There's six weeks of Lent, so we're, we're kind of hitting some highlights. Today, we're in chapter 13, which is at the end of the book of Hebrews, and chapter 13 is concerned, as many chapters in Hebrews are, with holiness, with the holiness of God's people, that the lives we live would reflect the goodness and purity of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we start off in Hebrews 13 with instructions for holy living. And I want you to notice here there's four exhortations to begin in these first five verses. And the exhortations are pretty clear. Show love and hospitality, care for prisoners, honor marriage, and pursue a healthy relationship with money. Okay, so look at this with me, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 13. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Okay, so the first requirement of holy living, according to Hebrews 13, is to love one another. So mutual love means we love each other, or brothers and sisters in Christ. But we don't only love each other, right, because we turn that love outwardly, and it becomes hospitality for the stranger. And Hebrews gives us this really incredible idea that you might actually, without realizing it, entertain and host an angel, a messenger of the Lord, who the Lord has sent to you, just by showing hospitality to someone you don't already know, which is a pretty amazing idea, I think. Look at verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Holy living requires caring for those in prison. And the author says, look, put yourself in their shoes. If you were in prison, wouldn't you want someone to come visit you? Yes, so let us care for them. 
Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Holy living requires honoring marriage and not only your marriage but also the marriage of your brothers and your sisters. Verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have for the Lord has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Holy living requires keeping ourselves free from the love of money, practicing contentment with our material blessings. Okay, you with me so far? So these are requirements for holy living. Let's summarize. Show love and hospitality, care for prisoners, honor marriage, and pursue a healthy relationship with money. Clear enough, I think, and yet, if we're honest... I think we would maybe want to play that game, one of these things is not like the other. You know, remember that game from Sesame Street, right? So um, I think we hear this, we read Hebrews 13, and we're like, yep, yep, love your neighbors, yep, got it, okay, care for prisoners, Uh, I don't really want to do that maybe, but I understand it, and honor marriage, yep, got it, and then the author of Hebrews says, and by the way, your money, your money, and we say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on now, I was with you up to this point. We were talking about holy living, I thought, but now you're talking about money? What does money have to do with holy living? And the answer is everything. Everything, friends. The use of money is a spiritual practice. The author of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the Bible, wants you to know that the use of money is a spiritual practice. And what you do with your money is no different than these other habits of holy living. Loving your neighbor and using your money to glorify God go together in the same category. Now, why are we spending so much time emphasizing this? Because a lot of us have fooled ourselves into thinking or even been taught by well-meaning people that money is other. That money is something else, it's material, it's carnal, it's even bad, and that the spiritual life is over here, then the way you live your spiritual life is with prayer and with Bible reading and with Sunday worship, but money goes over here because money is something else, because money is something separate and apart. And what I'm telling you today is that way of thinking is a false gospel. That is not biblical, friends. Now, where do we get this idea that the spiritual life is one thing and the material life is something else. Well, it comes from the Enlightenment in the days of the philosophers like Rene Descartes who advanced this notion called dualism. Dualism, spelled D-U-A-L-ism, dualism. And what does D-U-A-L, dual, mean? Do you know? Two, very good. So dualism suggests that the world is made up of two spheres or two areas or two realities. And one reality is the spiritual reality and the other is the material reality. Dualism says the spiritual world is is what's good. And you, yourself, you are a soul. And your soul is what's good about you. And that's the location of peace and of love, right, And, and, and of happiness. Meanwhile, the material world is the broken, fallen world. The material world is your body, because your body is just a carrying case, according to dualism. That your real self is the soul. You're here. But your body is just this carrying case. And notice how our, our bodies break down, right? And, and the material world uh, is, is broken, and it fades. And um, over time, it just doesn't um, live up the way that the spiritual world seems sustained, and the material world does not. Now, the church has also adopted this way of thinking over the years, and we've put our own labels to it. 
So we use words like sacred and secular, right, or worldly. And we have sacred music, like How Great Thou Art. And we have secular music, like Led Zeppelin or Tom Petty or who, who do you like? Dave Matthews. Oh, so secular. Dave Matthews, right? Oh, jeez. And we have sacred people like you and me, the saints, right? And then we have secular people, right? All those heathens out there that don't go to church, right? And then we have sacred activities like reading your Bible, and we have secular activities like riding motorcycles, right? Or playing hockey, right? Now, here's what we know. This is a man-made division, isn't it? God didn't divide up the world this way. Humans did. And we know that God can use Dave Matthews' band and motorcycles for His purposes, can't He? The Lord can use anything and everything. And everything the Lord has made, He called it good. And everything the Lord has made, He can use for His purposes. Everything the Lord has made has a spiritual dimension to it. So this way of dividing things up, not only is it wrong theologically, it's not biblical, but also it's very problematic because what we have done is we've taken money and we've stuck it over here in the material, secular realm, and we've pretended like it has nothing to do with our spiritual life. And we've said, well, that's something other. You know, the Lord can get my prayers and the Lord can have my worship, but my money, you know, that's my money. You know, I'm, I'm the one who earned it, and I'll, I'll hold on to that. You know, thank you, thank you very much. Um, friends, um, money is a spiritual matter, according to the Bible. Uh, money is a, has an effect on your soul, and money is a barometer of your soul. Understand this. Um, money will tell us what's important, right? If you show me your um, credit card statement or your check register, anybody still use the check register? You show me a list of the things you spend money on, and I'll show you what's important to you, right? I mean, we know this is how it works. And I pay my mortgage. Why? Well, it's important to me to have a place to live. And I spend a lot of money at Kroger to feed my kids. I mean, they're teenagers now, and so the bill is going up, up, right? Well, why? Because that's important, because feeding my kids is important. So whatever you spend money on, that is a barometer of your soul. Now, it's not the only barometer. There's a lot of measures of the health of your soul. But one of those barometers, one of those measures is your financial commitments and what you do with your money. Um, you know, it's, it's not biblical to say, well, you know, my soul belongs to Jesus, but my money belongs to me, right? If, if Jesus is your Lord, everything about you, everything you have and everything you are will come under his lordship and under his authority. Imagine a Christian who says, oh yeah, I want to honor the Lord, but I just cheat on my wife sometimes. That's not going to work. Whoa is right. Uh, that's not going to work, is it? And so it's the same flawed logic when we say, well, my heart belongs to Jesus, but my wallet belongs to me. It doesn't work, friends. That's not, that's not biblical. And I think some of us, uh, when we were baptized and, and the preacher dunked you under the water, some of you took your wallet out and you like held your wallet up out of the water. <laughs> so everything was cleansed except your bank account. But see, the Lord, the Lord wants to cleanse all of who you are. The Lord wants to claim all of who you are and use all of who you are for His purposes, your whole life, your whole life. Look at verse 5 again with me. Keep your lives free from the love of money 
and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Okay, so notice, money is not the problem, is it? What's the problem? Love of money. Our attitude about money. How we think about money. How we treat money. Money is just money. It's just a tool. It's just a tool. That's it, friends. Um, Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money. That's the problem. So how do we do that? How do we keep our lives free from the love of money? Well, one we already said. You have to believe that money is a spiritual matter and live accordingly. You have to believe that and you have to make a habit out of your life of treating money as a spiritual matter and using it for God's glory just like you would any other resource that you have like your time and your prayers. The second way to make sure that we keep our lives free of the love of money is right here in this verse, and it is contentment. Everybody say contentment. (laughs) Contentment means you are at peace because the Lord has already taken care of you. Be content with what you have. So what do you have? Well, if you have a house, be content with that. If you have a car, be content with that. If you have food to eat, be content with that. If you have friends and family, be content with that. If you have a job, be content with that. If you have a retirement, be content with that. Whatever you have, be content with what you have. You see, the problem of of not practicing contentment, think about this. When we constantly are craving after or pursuing the next thing, we are signaling to God and other people, for that matter, that the Lord is not enough for us that I need some other thing, I need some other experience, I need some other material blessing in order to have contentment in my life. But the Lord says to you, you don't need all that other stuff. The Lord says, I am enough, and we're preaching. Jesus is enough for us. So look at the promise, friends, at the end of this verse. The Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you understand what that means? It means if you are in Christ, you already have the greatest blessing, the greatest love, the greatest power in your life right now, and it is the presence of God with you. What more could you want than that? We don't need anything else, do we? We don't need anything else. And so I want you to understand the sermon today, uh, this is a matter of sales resistance. Because when you read the Bible, you come to church, you're like, yes, you're right, and you feel good, you're confident in the Lord, but then you go out in the world and you are bombarded by advertisements, right? It's on your phone now, it's on your TV, the radio, the billboards as you drive down Timberlake Road. You are bombarded with people trying to convince you to buy something so that you can have peace and contentment in your life. And I'm trying to teach you to say no. Say no to them and no to yourself, right? Self, I don't need that. I might want it, but I don't need it. Right? This is sales resistance, friends. That's what this is about, to know with confidence that you already have everything that you need because the Lord has given it to you. The Lord is taking care of you. Be content with what you have because the Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The rest of Hebrew 13's instructions on money come at the end of the chapter, and in verse 15 it says this, Through Christ, then, 
let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Okay, so the way to avoid the love of money is first, believe the money is a spiritual matter and act accordingly. The second is practice contentment. And the third is this, offer a sacrifice of praise. Offer a sacrifice of praise. So we're going to talk about three words, offer, sacrifice, and praise. Do you know what is the most fundamental, earliest, most essential form, practice of worship for Israel and for the early church? When the Bible talks about worship, do you know what is the most essential, fundamental part of the gathering of God's people? Do you know what it is? Some people say singing. It's not singing. Scripture, it's not Scripture reading. It's not preaching. It is offering. It is making a sacrifice. And in the, the days of the Bible, God's people were farmers and shepherds, right? So what did they have to bring as an offering? They brought grain and they brought livestock because they were farmers. Now, our economy has shifted, and there's a few farmers, but most of us do something else, right? And thankfully, you don't get paid in chickens anymore. You get paid in cash money. Do you know they used to pay preachers in chickens back in the day? Thank you for paying me with regular money. I'm grateful to you for that. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so the offering is the most fundamental act of worship. And all these other things matter also. It's, it's good to have music and prayer and these things. But I want you to understand offering is worship. Offering is worship. We, we are offering ourselves to God in worship. Let's talk about sacrifice. Um, you know, they say give till it hurts, but there, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, because if you are doing it right, you will certainly have to make a trade-off in your life where there's something that you might like to have or do, but you choose not to because you have committed those resources to the Lord. Okay, so for example, um, I could drive a newer car or take my kids on more expensive vacations, but we choose not to because we commit a certain amount of our income to the ministry of Christ, which is prohibitive of having some other nicer material things. Uh, we want to make a sacrifice for the Lord according to the Scripture. Now, I've had some good role models this way. Uh, one of the churches I served, there was a church member named Bill, and Bill um, was in his 90s when I knew him. And he had grown up in the Great Depression. And this is the house that he lived in for all the years that I knew him. Um, you can see it's kind of an older house. Uh, it wasn't dirty. It was just undecorated. It was simple. Um, I walked into his house to visit him, and I noticed what he had. He had a table. He had a chair. He had a bed. He had an oven. That was about it. So Bill lived a very simple life, a very frugal life. Uh, his house was old. His stuff was old. Uh, he just didn't care about having expensive things. And as far as I knew, he couldn't afford expensive things. Well, I didn't know at the time, but what I learned after Bill died was that he was the last of 10 siblings. And when each of his siblings had previously died, they left their estates to Bill. Except instead of spending the money on himself, he just put it in the bank. So imagine my surprise then a couple days after his funeral, his nephew comes to the church office where I was working and handed me a check from Bill's estate for $70,000 for the ministry of the church. So Bill had saved up all these resources by living simply and sacrificing himself. So he gave generously to the church. He gave to the fire department. He gave to a program called Weekday Religious Education, which is uh, somewhat unique to the Shenandoah Valley. Do you know about this? They actually teach the Bible during school hours 
Um, anyhow, it, it, Bill believed in religious education for the children. So he gave to these things, and he made sacrifices to, to make that possible. Verse 15 again. Through Christ, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. Let's talk about praise. Praise is important. How do you praise? With a frown on your face? Yay. Yeah, Lord, you're so good to me. No, Lord, you're so good to me, right? I mean, praise is enthusiastic, friends. Praise is exciting. Praise is joyful. So, yes, sacrifice sounds like kind of a a hard word, but balance it with praise. And when it's a sacrifice of praise, now it's not a hardship. It's a blessing to be able to sacrifice. Have you ever had that experience where you gave up something? You said, I don't really want to give this up. But you did, and the Lord blessed you in that, and you said, thank you, God. Because this sacrifice has been an opportunity for me to praise you and to bless my neighbor. You know, in, in Africa, uh, in African churches, when they have the offering, um, it's pretty exciting. It's, you know, I, you notice around here in, in um, North American Christianity, the offering's kind of subdued. You know, we're very dignified and reverent, you know, pass the plate. Okay, right? And try not to look at what your neighbor's putting in, but sometimes you, you sneak a peek and see how much they're putting in. And you put your gift in, you pass it around. But, but in, in certain churches in Africa, it's, it's not that. They're not sitting down, they're standing, and they're not quiet, they're loud, and they're singing, and they're praising God. And I, I just want you to get a sense for this. I want you to get a feel for this. So I brought you a video clip um, because um, I can't really do it justice just describing. So this is a church in the Ivory Coast. Um, it is a church called L'Eglise Evangelique du Reveil, which is my terrible French for um, Evangelical Church of Revival. And this is the offering at the Evangelical Church of Revival in the Ivory Coast. Check this out. Can you imagine being so unreserved in your praise of Almighty God and standing up and waving your gift? Lord, this is for you. I love you, Lord. Friends, notice in that church, there's no dualism, right? Body and soul are all working together for the praise of God. Uh, uh, Singing and financial giving go together in that church. These are not somehow separate and distinct. Uh, All of it, all of it, all of it is the sacrifice of praise and offering to God. May it also be with us. Amen.